Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. In the Old Testament, uh, the psalmist writes, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And in today's society, unfortunately, as we look all around us, uh, there are those who brag about not knowing God. They boast about God's um, illegitimacy. And they refuse to give credit to the creator of the heavens and earth. And many of us have to deal with it directly or indirectly. And so today's episode, I wanted to um, come from one of my favorite books, uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and that was written by Brother Frank Turek, uh, one of one of our uh, leading apologists today. And we are so thankful that he has agreed to come on Sound Reason Radio Show to share some nuggets from that book. Uh, Brother Frank, how are you? Um, great, Perseus. Great being on with you. Thank you. Thank you. So I wanted to start off with the foundational uh, premise of truth. Uh, for we as Christians, we we say we have the truth. So what is truth? If you can define that for us so that we can all start on the same page. Well, ultimately, truth is a person, the person of Christ, who is in his divine nature, uh, the infinite being, the I am, the being that had no beginning, the being that will have no end. He grounds everything. Um, but when we define truth, we often say it is that which corresponds to reality, um, that which corresponds to its referent. So if I say my name's Frank Turek, that corresponds to reality because my name is Frank Turek. If I say my name's Richard Dawkins, that wouldn't correspond to reality because I'm not Richard Dawkins. Right. So, um, and there's a lot of people out there, of course, that deny truth. And the problem is, Perseus, as you know, you've been to Southern Evangelical Seminary. This is what we teach. We teach people how to know the truth and how to avoid error, how to right. avoid falsehoods. And one of the ways you can avoid falsehoods is to turn a claim on itself, which means if someone says there's no truth, you ask them, is that true? You know, I mean, it's a truth claim to say there's no truth, so it's self-defeating. It's like saying I can't speak a word in English. Right. Or it's like saying my parents had no kids that lived. You know, I mean, it's self-defeating. <laughs> it it sounds trivial, but it is efficient, and it points people back to uh, thinking or, or about the um, the contradiction of their uh, presupposition. So I, I really appreciate that. Now, once we know what truth is, how do we go about, uh, or, or once we establish that truth exists, how do we go about knowing what truth is? Well, we start with our sense experience, and we use the laws of logic, the law of non-contradiction, which we just used, right? That things can't both be true and false at the same time and in the same sense. Something right. can't be both and false at the same time in the same sense. Uh, we use the law of identity, 
which means if my name is Frank Turek, that is my name. It's I'm not non-Frank Turek, you know. Uh, if I'm a man, I'm I'm a man. I'm not a non-man. Um, that's the law of identity. And the law of the excluded middle would be like either there is a God or there isn't. You know, right. there's no third alternative. Right. Right. Either exists or he doesn't exist. If you're a woman, you're either pregnant or you're not. You know, there's no third alternative. Um, those three laws, <laughs> uh, we use those laws. They're self-evident laws. They're just part of the furniture of the universe. I would, re- I would argue that they're grounded in God's very nature. In the beginning was the word, the mm-hmm. logos, the logic. That's where we get the word logic from. Um, that the laws of logic, the laws of reason, our ability to reason comes from God, who is the great mind, who grounds the laws of logic and gives us the ability to reason. So we use those laws, we take our sense experience, and then we can draw conclusions about the real world. You know, we can we, we see a creation, we know, oh, I have this effect known as creation. Well, there must be a creator. Right. Right. I have a moral law written on my heart. There must be a moral law giver. And so the way we discover that God exists is we reason from effect to cause. So if there's a creation, there must be a creator. If there's a moral law, there must be a moral law giver. And that's how we know God exists. So we're using our sense experience coupled with the laws of logic to draw conclusions about reality. That's how we know what truth is. Thank you for that. And in the book, um, uh, which is also uh, contributed by Dr. Norman Geisler, there's, there's an acronym of SURGE. S-U-R-G-E. Can you please highlight what each letter stands for in the word SURGE? Yeah, the SURGE acronym is to help people remember the evidence for the beginning of the universe. Because one of the three arguments we give for the existence of God is the argument that the universe had a beginning. And if it had a beginning, it must have had a beginner. And if the universe had a beginning, if space, time, and matter had a beginning— then whatever created space, time, and matter can't be made of space, time, and matter. In other words, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing, personal in order to choose to create, because only a personal being can, can make a choice. An impersonal force can't make a choice. Only a person can make a choice, and someone had to make a choice to create. Also intelligent, because this universe appears to be designed. Now, of course, when you think about a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent cause, who do you think of? You think of God. Well, <laughs> one of the arguments that shows us the universe had a beginning is called the cosmological argument. And the scientific evidence that is having even atheists agree that the universe had a beginning. Even Stephen Hawking, the great atheist, says that almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Why is he saying that? Because of surge. S stands for the second law of thermodynamics. U stands for the fact that the universe is expanding. R stands for the radiation afterglow from the initial Big Bang explosion. G stands for the great galaxy seeds that that allowed the galaxies to form in the early universe. And E stands for Einstein's theory of general relativity. Mm -hmm. And all the details on why why those things show the universe had a beginning are in the book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. But the SURGE acronym, S-U-R-G-E, just helps you remember the evidence. That's what that's for. I appreciate that. And for those who want more uh, information about this acronym, again, uh, as Brother Frank mentioned, the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, um, uh, you should have in your library. It's a lot of details in there for Christians to be able to stand on the truth and to teach 
why God does exist and to further um, amplify the message that, that Christ has given us to share with others. So the next term in dealing in, in, that we'd want to deal with is this issue of relativism. And what is it and how should we as Christians respond to it? Well, relativism with regard to truth is we kind of already did respond to it. You know, we just turned the claim on itself. If somebody says all truth is relative, you simply ask them, is that a relative truth? Right. right. I mean, that claims to be absolute. Right. Um, you can't relativize everything away. There's got to be some standard by which you relativize other things away. Uh, so things can't be um, ultimate reality isn't relative. Ultimate reality is absolute. And uh, you couldn't know anything about ultimate reality unless there were absolute fixed points by which you could understand the real world. They include the laws of logic. Um, they include actually um, the fact that there are certain natural laws that don't change and they enable us to live here and they help us survive, you know? So it's not just my opinion, for example, that gravity is of a particular force here on earth. It is what it is, regardless of what I believe about it, regardless of what you believe about it, you know, gravity isn't relative for me or for you. Gravity is what it is. It's, it's absolute. It <laughs> right. doesn't change. Right. Right. So, and, and it's undeniable. <laughs> What's that? It's undeniable. That's well, it's not, it is undeniable, <laughs> but some people still deny it. Just ask to step off a building though and see how well they do. <laughs> that, that's a great analogy. My next mm-hmm. question uh, deals with this theory of evolution, which attempts to erase God out of the picture of creation. So you basically talk talk about microevolution versus macroevolution. What are the differences? Yeah, we talk about that in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, in the new book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. And uh, microevolution deals with adaptation within a type, like, for example, the variation in the beak depths of the finches that Darwin discovered on the Galapagos Islands in the 1800s. You know, he always had finches. He just had different beak depths depending upon what the weather was. Whereas macroevolution is the idea that those finches, given enough time, could ultimately evolve into some other type of creature, maybe even a completely different type of bird or maybe even a completely different type of creature altogether. Given, given enough microevolutionary changes, you can extrapolate to macro, and you don't need any intelligent intervention to do that. The problem is, is that all the evidence, at least that I've seen, seems to suggest that that can't happen. Uh, from the fossil record to irreducible complexity to genetic limits to change to epigenetic information, all that stuff is, is unpacked in the book if you want to go further. But the main point is this, uh, Perseus, even if macroevolution were true, that wouldn't mean that was, there was no God. Right. Uh, number one, before you ever get to biology, you need a universe. Right. And it appears that the evidence shows that the universe was created by a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent cause. And secondly, um, so, you, so you, need, you need a creator from the very beginning of the universe before you ever get to life. Secondly, it appears life needs a, a, uh, some kind of divine or intelligent source because life does not come from non-life without intelligence. Uh, we never see life coming from non-life without intelligence. In fact, we can't create life. And if we ever do create life, it'll prove creation because it'll show <laughs> that it took a lot of intelligence to do it. So 
whatever you think about evolution doesn't really affect whether or not Christianity is true. If evolution were true, it would give us problems for biblical inerrancy in the Old Testament, but it doesn't mean that, you know, there's no God or Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So it's an interesting topic, but it's not one that's going to kill Christianity, so to speak. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Another subject in the book, which I really enjoyed reading, was the definition and the um, description of what a miracle is. Can you please mm-hmm. just touch on the reality of miracles? Yeah, when people say they don't believe in miracles, I always say, look around, you're living in one. In other words, the greatest miracle in the Bible is not the resurrection. Many will say that. It's probably the most significant miracle in the Bible, but the greatest miracle in the Bible is actually the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if that verse is true, every other verse is at least possible. And uh, the evidence shows, and even atheists are admitting the evidence, that space, matter, and time had a beginning out of nothing. Now, they're not going to say it's God that did it. Right. But they could try and come up with another explanation that, in my view, doesn't work. Because, as I mentioned earlier, space, matter, and time had a beginning. The cause has got to be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, and powerful, and personal, and intelligent, which appears to be what we would call God. So... Um, if that verse is true, Genesis 1-1, and we have good scientific and philosophical evidence to suggest it is, then every other verse in the Bible is at least possible. I mean, if God created the universe out of nothing, then obviously he can do whatever he wants inside the universe. If he can create the whole universe out of nothing. Right. And so in the book, we point out that sometimes we confuse miracles with other type of events like divine providence or satanic signs or magic or anomalies or, you know, these kind of things. But in reality, a miracle in the Bible is used to confirm a message from God and a messenger from God. So if you look in the Bible, miracles, when they're done through people, are done in three basic time periods, Moses, Elijah, and Elijah, and Jesus and the apostles. Why? Because these people had new, conf- had new revelation that needed new confirmation. In other words, they're coming with a new word, and in order for the people to believe that they're truly speaking for God— God authenticates them by doing miracles. Amen. Miracles are never done for entertainment or, you know, uh, the, the, even the benefit of the miracle worker. Miracles are always done in the Bible to bring glory to God and to show that somebody who speaks for God is actually speaking the truth about God. So mm. there's an entire chapter, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. We also talk about it in the book, Stealing from God, about miracles. So you can get go, more, go into more depth if you want. Amen. Thank you so much. Now, what— are one of the most prevalent arguments against miracles that you've encountered in terms of the, the argument that comes up the most? Well, probably since most people say they don't see them today, you know, why wouldn't you, why would you expect miracles to occur in the past? And a lot of people say, look, I've never seen a miracle. So why would I believe in one? And I say, well, look, a couple things. You believe in a lot of things you've never seen. You believe in your mind. Have you ever seen it? No, you're using it right now. You believe in the laws of logic. Ever seen those? <laughs> nope, you're using them right now. You believe in love and justice. Ever seen those? No, they're immaterial realities. You've seen them expressed, but they're not physical things. Uh, you believe in gravity. You've never seen gravity. You know, Frank, I see gravity all the time. I drop something, it goes to the ground. No, you're not seeing gravity. What are you seeing? You're seeing the effects of gravity. We're not even sure what gravity is, and that's how we know God. We know God by his effects, as I said earlier. You've never seen George Washington. 
<laughs> but you believe in him. Why? You believe in him on evidence because there's historical evidence for George Washington. Um, and I, I point out that you, you shouldn't expect to see a lot of miracles for a couple of reasons. Number one, we don't live in New Testament times anymore where God is trying to authenticate new prophets. The revelation's closed. We already have the Bible. We don't need uh, a miracle to confirm the message anymore. Uh, not, I'm not saying God can't do a miracle when he wants to. He can do a miracle anytime he wants, and maybe sometimes he does around the world. In right. fact, uh, um, Craig Keener from Asbury University has a hernia-inducing two-volume set on modern-day miracles. So if you're interested in that, you can get that book. But the second reason you ought not expect to see a lot of miracles is because miracles, by definition, must be rare events. Right. In other words, if miracles occurred all the time, they wouldn't get our attention. Like, for example, if resurrections occurred all the time, what would the resurrection of Christ mean? Right. You know, it wouldn't mean anything. You go to somebody, you go, hey, Jesus rose from the dead for your sins. And the guy goes, so what? Uncle Leroy just rose from the dead two weeks ago. Right? <laughs> now I got to give the inheritance back. No, it's got to be a rare event. Right. Miracles, if they occur at all, have to be extremely rare. Otherwise, it dilutes the impact of Christ's, mir- of Christ's resurrection. Right. Right. Those are excellent points. Uh, we thank you so much for that. Now, uh, what would you like to leave with our listeners in terms of uh, the book? Well, the book starts at the very idea, what is truth? It starts with people who say they don't even believe in truth, and it works its way in a logical progression all the way to the fact that the Bible is the Word of God in 12 points. That's what the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist book does. And there's a DVD series. We're actually now teaching this course online. If people want to take the course online and I come on live uh, on, a, a, on a video platform called Zoom and we talk about things and you can ask me questions and that kind of thing. Um, if they go to crossexamined.org, crossexamined.org, they can see all this stuff up there. Um, so what we try and do is we just try and show people that the evidence is there that Christianity is true. And it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. And one other thing, uh, Perseus, the, uh, the app I want to mention, too, the cross-examined app, two words in the app store, cross-examined. If they download that, they not, not only can see our TV show streaming live on Wednesday nights, they can also watch our radio program, which occurs, uh, or listen to our radio program, which occurs once a week. It's a podcasted right there on the app. And there's also a quick answer section in there. So it's got some of the most common objections to Christianity mm. with short answers or questions you can ask to somebody who makes the objection. Uh, and it's a very helpful uh, tool right there on your iPhone, your Droid, or if you're one of the 12 people in the world with a Windows phone, it works on that too. <laughs> so download the cross-examined app. Let me see how many people have downloaded it to date. I, I got this little thing on my website here or on my computer. Let's see. We're up to uh, how many people have downloaded the app? 139,116. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you, uh, Frank, for joining us on Sound Reasoning Radio Show. Again, the book is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Please get it in your library as you uh, attempt to defend the truth of the gospel and give each man and woman a reason for the hope that lies within you. Frank, thanks again, and prayerfully we'll be in touch to... uh, Go to to go over what the Lord has for both of us to do. 
Amen, brother. Thanks for what you're doing out there in Sacramento. Amen. We'll talk to you later. Once again, right. once again, that's Frank Turek, um, the apologist from Southern Evangelical Seminary. Uh, he co-wrote the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Dr. Norman Geisler. And we really think it will benefit not just uh, adults, but youth and young adults. That's a lot of good gems in there that are Bible-based. And it gives us ammunition to help those who are struggling with their faith, to help those who are ignorant about the Jesus that we serve. And it will help us to better uh, reach those that need to hear the gospel the most. Uh, we pray that, you're, that you are reading your Bible, that you are studying your Bible, and the Lord has blessed other men and women to uh, share and to bring to light some of the principles of the scriptures that uh, would aid us, again, in our studying of the Bible. And we pray that uh, all of you have an appetite to evangelize and disciple and also be willing to share your faith in this uh, world that we live in. It's so vital that all of us do what we need to do to share the love of the gospel, to share the light that uh, comes from Christ alone. Uh, Education alone is not going to do it. Uh, Status alone is not going to do it. What neighborhood you live in alone is not going to do it. Your um, mindset or how smart you think you are is not going to do it. If we're going to change lives, it comes only through the word. It comes only by the gospel. So please do for the truth today what others so willingly do for a lie. And I'm praying that the Lord touches you to share with Sound Reason Ministries. We are listeners sponsored radio show. So please consider donating to our ministry, Sound Reasoning, uh, that others may be edified, that others may be blessed. We are so grateful to the Lord for this opportunity. And we pray for the day when we all are unified in him, that all the nations be glad and, and, and uplifting Jesus Christ in the spirit and in truth. So please read your Bible. As I said before, studies show yourself approved. May the Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. 
Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com 